Cream. Weekdays from 3. The sound of the nation. 2FM. And yes, welcome back. Of course, it is Monday. That could mean one thing and one thing only. We are about to catch up on all the goings on in the world of sport. Gavin Cooney is with me from the 42. Gav, how are you? Uh, very well, Jenny. How are you? I am good. We got some uh, some great stories to get through this week. So let's start with the pitch invader who made too big an impact in the Wales v South Africa test match on Saturday. Tell us all. Oh, Jenny, I'm afraid that uh, us, the sporting public, are besieged by idiots. Uh, there's just <laughs> a lot of them going around at the moment. And one of them went around to the point where he ended up on the pitch uh, in that Wales-South uh, Africa game on Saturday evening. Uh, so this guy wand- ambled down the stands, leaped over the advertisings and then advertising hoarding, should I say, and then sauntered onto the pitch, waving to the crowd, presumably basking in what he felt was a claim, but was far uh, more uh, like their scorn. And then that scorn doubled or tripled because he managed to wade onto the uh, field just as Wales were going through an attack. Oh. So he was tackled onto the ground by a steward. <laughs> but the inve- intervention was pretty terribly timed because the game was leveled at 15 points apiece. Wales were attacking down the wing on which the fan was tackled. So the winger, Liam Williams, was forced to check his run to avoid the spectator, which ultimately gave the South African defence enough time to shuffle across, make a tackle, snuff out the danger and cost Wales their try. It was absolutely crazy. What is so, it with these people? Was, you know, I just can't get my head around it. Like, I mean, I'd say maybe he was pretty liquored up. I would imagine that there was a bit of Dutch courage I hope, there. I hope um, he was. Also, <laughs> you know, every, every, everyone wants their 15 minutes of fame. And he did. He was the, like, he was the point of attention for 80,000 people for a couple of minutes. Now, maybe there's no such thing as good, uh, as bad publicity, but... I think that there is because he was uh, he was led away by stewards and police. Booze rang around the stadium as he left, and he was also doused in beer by angry supporters, uh, having presumably doused himself in beer earlier on in the afternoon. So the Wales coach Wayne Pivak said he was disappointed by it all. He did hold his uh, hold his tongue and say uh, he didn't know whether Wales were going to score in the corner um, before this fan made his intervention. It did to me look like they were about to score, like they had a two on one in that mm. corner. And then his intervention meant that South Africa just got enough time to get across and he's since been handed over to police. But this is happening all over the place. Yeah, like because in... I was actually going to say to you, because it, this wasn't the only game that saw an unwelcome invader over the weekend. Um, Ireland's game with Japan. What happened here? Yeah, this is not, again, brief. Well, I was going to say interrupted by another idiot. It did happen before the game. So this guy called Daniel Jarvis, who uh, subtly refers to himself as Jarvo69. Um, <laughs> he also describes himself as a comedian, filmmaker and prank star. He's made a name for himself, apparently, by invading various fields of play. So he's pulled this off in the NFL, at cricket and, and other huge sporting events. And now he's made his uh, turn in rugby union. So he made his way onto the pitch in a New Zealand jersey a week ago, uh, ahead of the Wales and All Blacks game. Before uh, he, So he, he sauntered on in an All Blacks jersey. He lined up alongside them for the anthem. Then the All Blacks players looked around and was like, who the hell is this guy? And then he was led away. And he pulled the exact same stunt in a Japanese jersey at the Aviva Stadium on Saturday as well. So the uh, Japan the Japan team were coming out from underneath the stand onto the pitch. And then he just uh, quickly leaped over the hoardings and in his full Japan gear, um, blended into the crowd, lined up uh, for the anthems. And then obviously when there were 16 players lined up for the anthems, uh, secu- stadium security realized what was up and led, uh, led this guy away. But this is happening all over the place. Like even a few weeks ago, uh, Paris Saint-Germain were playing a... a 
French soccer match against Marseille and a fan ran onto the pitch uh, to tackle Lionel Messi, which interrupted uh, a Paris counter-attack. So, God, it's happening all over the place. It's terrible. Do I don't watch this space. It, it may happen again now. Uh, elsewhere in Brazil, one team were not very respectful towards their relegated opponents, apparently. They do on-field hate better in South America than they do it in any other part of the world. <laughs> so, um, Internacional and Grêmio are two uh, Brazilian football clubs and they are fierce rivals. Internacional beat Grêmio 1-0 at the weekend, which sealed Grêmio's likely relegation from the Brazilian top flight. So, Internacional, we're not going to let this uh, let this achievement go unacknowledged. Uh, so, they've fairly basked in the achievement at the final whistle. They brought out fake coffin lids painted in the Grêmio colours of blue and black to display to the supporters. Wow. <laughs> so the international players came out waving these coffin lids in the ground, um, G in the crowd up. The Grêmio squad absolutely lost their heads at this. They raced back onto the pitch to confront their rivals and there was a huge all-out 22-man brawl and then stewards got involved and coaches got involved and everyone was trying to separate each other from everyone else, which meant they all just got involved together. <laughs> um, and a couple of players were sent off. Cremio defender Bruno Cortes and the international midfielder Patrick Naximento were shown red cards. But uh, international fairly made their point in poor old Gremio. That's, uh, that's a that's a lurry load of soul to rub into a fairly raw wound. Absolutely. Uh, now, the next story I just love is about Ronnie O'Sullivan and he almost missed his English Open match last week but it is it is why he nearly missed it that I love tell us about this we haven't talked about Ronnie for a while uh, <laughs> he was facing Cyprus's Michael Georgiou in the opening round of the English Open last week uh, he almost missed the game because he lost track of time because he was elsewhere in London eating a kebab <laughs> uh, he, was in the ke- he was in the kebab shop had his iPad up and was streaming the snooker on the TV <laughs> and was streaming the match that was on before him so uh, he even tweeted a picture of himself doing this so in theory, he'd watch this and then would realise when it's drawing to a close and he'd leg it out of the kebab shop and make it to his match. Evidently, the kebab was too good. He uh, lost attention on the match that was on the iPad, oh. then lost track of time and then realised, oh my God, I might miss this match. So he legged it to the arena. He turned up with seven minutes to go uh, in his jeans and trainers. So he had to uh, quickly pull on his tux. Um, but he says in his own words that he was all over the gaff because he usually meditates 20 minutes before every match. Um, so said he, he didn't uh, for this match, obviously, because he didn't have the time. And he lost the first frame, uh, showing uh, the extent to which he was out of sorts. But then he got it together, won the next four frames to go on, win 4-1 and move on to the round of 32. You never know now, this could be his new ritual before every game. <laughs> <laughs> he was saying, like, I don't, I, honestly, I don't think it will be because he <laughs> says he'd rather, he, he knew that he was going to be all over the place. Uh, he said he'd be like a rabbit in the headlights uh, for that uh, first frame because he didn't get his prep in properly. Yeah. So he said he would have preferred to have turned up, have conceded the frame and then have 20 minutes to prepare for the mat, uh, for the second frame, as it were. Um, but uh, yeah, it didn't stop ultimately. And I did read... Uh, one tabloid report that said he uh, he skewered his opponent nonetheless. Oh, good man. Uh, now, finally, last <laughs> last week we were talking about um, Max Verstappen's finding fault with one of our favourite Netflix sports series, of course, Drive to Survive. But this week, I've seen a lot of this online. There's been huge criticism of The Last Dance. Is nothing sacred. No. We, we do all remember watching The Last Dance during lockdown last year. Like, lockdown came... <laughs> 
and there, this was literally the only thing to watch. So everyone fell in love with it. Yeah. Uh, apart, it seems, from everyone who was in it that wasn't called Michael Jordan. Uh, Scotty Pippen, you may remember, uh, was a teammate of Michael Jordan at the Chicago Bulls for that last dance season. Uh, and he's had a go at the documentary now, or probably more specifically had a go of Michael Jordan in his documentary. He's uh, he's crit- he's claimed that this was a case of Jordan presenting his story rather than the actual story of the season. And he uh, Pippen says, I was nothing more than a prop, his best teammate of all time, he called me. Well, he couldn't have been more condescending if he tried. Wow. And second thought, I could believe my eyes. I spent a lot of time around the man. I knew what made him tick, how naive I was to expect anything else. So, uh, you know, he went on to say that every episode is the same. It put Michael Jordan on a pedestal and his teammates were secondary and smaller. And the message was no different from when he referred to us back then as a supporting cast. Oh. So from one season to the next, we received little or no credit whenever we won, but the bulk of the criticism when we lost. So evidently when the Bulls won, Jordan played well. And when the Bulls lost, his teammates let him down. To be fair, even watching it, it's like it didn't really cross my mind at the time. But now in hindsight, which is a beautiful thing, um, <laughs> it's it's to see, you know, going to the other players I mean, interview. But Michael's always sitting there like really chilled, drinking a whiskey. And, you know, he probably <laughs> he knows the questions that are coming because he's probably written them. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. He he had to agree to uh, to cooperate and and open up all this archive footage. So I think he was going to get quite a lot of editorial control over it. So yeah, I look. I mean, obviously that's probably like giving one of the subjects that level of editorial control is probably not the best mm. principle for a sports documentary. So uh, at the time, everyone was just so glad to have something new to watch that everyone just said, "Okay, we love this. Please shoveling it. Please, please keep shoveling it before our eyeballs." Now that we're back in a relatively normal world with other things to do and watch. I might go back and watch it to see, was it actually any good? Yeah, I, I did love it. Um, it served its purpose at the time. Um, and for anyone who hasn't mm. seen it, go and check it out anyway. That is The Last Dance uh, on Netflix. So, um, Gavin Cooney, thank you so much. Jenny, thank you so much. Here we go. Jenny Green, weekdays from three on 2FM. The sound of the nation. The sound of the nation.